Excuse me. Excuse me. She does she does laundry in a Home Depot bucket with a plunger. That's not a joke. Speaking of laundry, can I pause for one second? I need to go change my laundry. Just remind me. Good grief. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So I got up early today. I, I kind of decided to have a baller day. I have worked out even before mass. I never do that. Wow. Yeah. Got up to my coffee, did the breviary, did the rosary, ran a mile and got huge with weights. And then nice. put in the laundry. That's why I had to go down and switch that laundry because I uh, put it in before mass, but then had mass, then had another mass for funeral. And I thought, but if I leave it till after the podcast, it could get funky if I don't put it in the dryer. Not in the good way. Mm. Not in the good way. Like play that funky music. Let's get funky, funky, I feel like I've been hitting my stride in terms of getting up early. Have you been? You've been pretty consistently getting to bed and waking up. Well, that I was I was slipping on, but last night I decided I redoubled my efforts and was like, go to bed. Right when you get home from the, I was at uh, dinner at a f- family's house. And I, even before I went, I was like, when I get back from this, I'm going right to bed. Wow. I'm not watching TV. I'm not reading. <laughs> and I did it. You, you weren't reading. I was not reading. Wow. You Did you say you redoubled your efforts? I redoubled my efforts. So is that like you have you've like placed four efforts into that? <laughs> I redoubled them. I re- so like you I, double them and then you redouble them. Then you oh, quadruple yeah, them. Then you re-quadruple them. Mm. Whoa. The re-quadruple. Whoa. <laughs> That's when you know it's getting serious. Yeah. Hey, by the way, is this water quality real bad today? Or is that just me drinking this know. coffee? It looks pretty weird in here. Yeah. It? Have you tasted it? Yeah. T- it taste it. It, it, tastes, it tastes strange. That is strange because the coffee that you're drinking should be delectable. The, the uh, Guadalupe yeah. Roastery.com, Nicaragua. Yeah, this is, Did you guys get another pound? No. I got another pound uh, in the mail. What? Um, what? <laughs> like? <laughs> yeah. Did no. Get yeah, this one no, was Honduran no. this time. Delectable as the Nicaraguan was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It still tastes okay, but oh, yeah. like the water is. I'm drinking. I think it's water. Funky, I think it's water quality. Funkiness going on here. Hmm. The cam's kind of falling apart up here. We had like a power outage. This water, this whole water situation that we have yeah. going on right now. When was the power outage? It was this weekend. The oh. cam and Ben's room was out for like five hours. No power. What? Not good. Especially considering everything that happened before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they may be on to something there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hey, so is your funeral season over? No, oh, no, dude. I had one this morning. I've got one on Wednesday. What is the deal? I don't have know. You, like, you've never had, at least I've never heard, like, when you talk about your schedule, this many funerals back to back to back to back, just kind of consistently scattered throughout your weeks. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I don't know what it is. 
Last week I didn't really have any, but I had... I have two this week, two two weeks ago, one the week before that, one the week before that, and then four the week before that. Whoa, that is a lot. Yeah. Hmm. But... It might be something in the water. Don't say well, that. Yeah. Yeah, then you'd be susceptible. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you guys up to these days? Finishing up. Yeah. Our finals week is not bad, honestly. Yeah, it's actually going to be, I think, a pretty great week. We're going to go see Star Wars. Pretty excited about that. At some point, probably Thursday. Mm-hmm. Thursday, I think, is a good one. Huh. Yeah. Thursday. Are you, are you excited about the Star Wars? What did you think of the last one? Liked it. You yeah, liked I liked it. it. Oh, we yeah. talked about that, I think. About the, was it, that the middle one that was like four and a half? Uh, oh, no. yeah. Wasn't there one that came out that wasn't canonical? It wasn't part of the like trilogy of trilogies? Yeah, they're doing spinoffs. That was... Uh, that was Rogue One. Rogue it? One. That was really good. Was it? That led up Okay, to... so there's been like seven. Seven has been made. Yeah, Seven was the one with, like, is it Rey? Is that the girl yeah. Jedi who's right. so awesome? And Kylo Ren. Yeah. And then he kills, well, uh, spoiler maybe. alert, maybe or maybe not, <laughs> he kills Han Solo. Oh, come yeah. on. That was like a year ago, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Was that last Christmas or two? I, I think that it was, was two, two Christmases, Christmases ago, ago that we, I, I went and saw yeah. it with my family on Christmas. Yep. Yeah, because then last Christmas was Rogue One. And then so the right. end of, uh, like, the trilogy movie, what's it called? Force Awakens. Yeah. At the end of that one, she finds Luke Skywalker. On the shores of oh, Ireland. Yes. Yeah, in Ireland. And you're like, Ireland? Yeah. In space? Of all places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No Do they have way. space leprechauns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have jetpacks. Yeah. But they still have pointy ears. Is the last, is the finale before. movie called Ireland in Space? <laughs> A Space Odyssey? <laughs> Star Wars, yeah, <laughs> Finding Ireland. There's a line in Arrested Development where the mom gives her money to Buster, and she goes, "Here's here's five dollars. Go see a Star War." <laughs> <laughs> but in answer to your question, I did like, uh, yeah, the new one. I'm excited about this one. Thanks for asking. Nice movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so then. The whole order of Star Wars, for some reason, I'm fascinated by how this all happened, but it went four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, mm-hmm. four and a half, eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. Like, that is so bizarre. That's but I do know point. people. I do know people, and actually, I, I think you can find it on YouTube, that have taken the first the first three. And, well, well, they if they do, like, a whole Star Wars day, they'll watch them in different orders. So there are some that will watch it straight through, one through six. Mm. Then there are some who will watch how they came out, four, five, six, one, two, three. Mm. And then there are some who will do, like, four. I don't even think they watch one. Apparently, big Star Wars nuts. Like, what one is a, dis, is a disgrace to their family. And like, mm. Mm. I'd heard that, too. I'd heard that one, two, and three are all bad. Like, I don't think I've ever well, seen any of them all the way well, through. Well, so far as, like, the, the canon of Star Wars, like, one is just... Garbage, like, yeah. It just doesn't even fit. So they, it doesn't, it, and it doesn't really contribute anything to the plot, which I don't get. Is, is, Darth, that, that, is Darth Vader a little kid in well, that? Find Anakin. Yeah, that's pretty big to the Star Wars plot. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a little bit important. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's got the Metacalorians. Look, all I know is I have a strong emotional attachment to that, and pod racing is so sweet. 
Mm. And like all of those things happen in that movie for me. But there are some people who do like four, two, five, six, three. So there's like this whole, like if you want to watch the story of Darth Vader, then you can watch it in a specific order so that you see like where Darth Vader came from. Oh. And, and oh. so you can like highlight specific characters depending on the, the rhythm that you watch it in. And huh. So there's, it, I mean, think about it, there's a whole other world out there, you know, not actually in reality, but like the huh. subculture of Star Wars. I don't know if it's as strong as Star Trek, but mm. there are some. I don't know. This is this is actually something I've been thinking about the the subcultures of which I know nothing and how many they are, and how pervasive they are. Yeah. How and how like in, to to some extent I'm a part of a subculture that's pretty inaccessible to a large swath of people. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of being a Catholic. Well, being a Catholic priest, obviously you you enter a, a brotherhood that's pretty esoteric you know the thing i thought you were talking about your stamp collection (laughs) that too uh rocky rocky fandom super fandom um (laughs) being such a jock being such a like awesome athlete and just sort of knowing the ins ins and outs of every sport that that kind of makes me feel a little bit inaccessible to the wider community but yeah same and just such experiences of past glory in my life a lot of people can't really understand yeah. me because of that yeah exactly yeah, you you feel mm-hmm. excluded because of the inferiority <laughs> of other people <laughs> people i often do yeah i'm up here all on my own yeah i feel sorry for myself about that um no Nobody but has to something something triggered it this week i was like on twitter or something and this is like this constant neuralgia of trying to not to do distracting things on my phone when I feel bored or, or whatever. Um, that was to some extent like the reason for the baller morning. It was like, don't even touch my phone. Just do things, you know, sit were here in reading, silence. Pardon? Were you reading tweets by Kyle and Mike? You guys don't tweet enough to uh, distract me. I can, I can cover your Twitter feed in no time. <laughs> okay. And there's not really much to think about either. So <laughs> no, but I, I won't, I won't talk about it specifics but just realizing like within the catholic world within the um like the political movements of our time and people from our generation are younger and the things people are really passionate about and like the link especially with the internet and people able to connect to each other like the lingo that develops and names for things mm-hmm. names, names people call each other and like i will i can't help myself if i find something like that i'm like like, uh, realizing that a movement exists or that a subculture community exists i kind of try to decipher it you know like figure out what what are these people's thing you know and we sort of talked about this a little bit mike on the phone the other day about how like running into certain people who think certain things really rocks my world sometimes i'm like you shouldn't think that Right. The fact that you are who you are and you think that thing wrecks my whole worldview of what how I expect everybody thinks. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it challenges your own. I mean, it challenges your own thoughts. It does. Yeah, your own your own world in a lot of ways. Yeah, it does. But I wouldn't say that it makes me doubt my worldview. It just makes me like. It stresses me sometimes to realize like. Well, wow, there's this, you know, let's let's just say the wings of traditionalism within Catholicism. 
sort of neo-traditionalists running all the way from like the ultra schismatic, you know, Vatican II was an evil thing from the devil and the Pope isn't the real Pope and all that to like even movements within like the legit Catholic world of sort of leaning traditionalist. And then everywhere in between, there's all these like shades and I don't really have much access to it. Um, and same goes for on the other side, but I don't know. I guess, I guess I always figure that I'm in the mainstream and that I am aware of everything that's going on, but you realize you don't really like you are a product of where you are and who you're around and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Kids these days. Yeah. Am I right? Totally. All their lingo. Yes, I I totally agree and find that a lot. Like I think what you're saying is that um amongst like even a very important culture to you take it like the Catholic faith or whatever, there's also like these subcultures that have their own like just lingo and expressions and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Like I mean that can be very hard to navigate. Of like, what the heck? Well, sometimes man. I think, do I wait? Do I agree with these people or do I disagree vehemently? Um, you know, <coughs> sure. and that's that's what gets me to kind of and leave aside the political thing, which I think this year, last last couple of years, people have uh, really focused on that, like the advent of these extreme groups. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Are we living in a time when there's more extremism than in other? times i don't think so 20th century yeah. sure had some extremism yeah but uh yeah how they develop and how people start thinking what they think and i don't know i guess some of it too is like i realize there's only a few things that i really 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 care about but uh, there's a lot of stuff that people get super excited about that i'm pretty indifferent or at least ambivalent about like i could see the good on both sides and it's prudential mm-hmm. you know like in terms of politics or um economics but even even religious like there's certain things that i just am not going to get too super worked up about there are certain things that i will like preaching a personal god you know rather than a sentimental you know god is everywhere so god is nowhere god um you know certain things within the catholic world like the making disciples of jesus method versus the sort of everybody's you know path to truth is just their own and that's your truth man um, those are the sort of things I get excited about, but I have opinions about a lot of other things, but not so much that I think like everybody that disagrees with me is bad or dumb, but, but then there are some, some of those things. <laughs> and then there are some of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I wonder if that, that feeling of, cause I, cause I think part of it is like in a, in a, in a culture that I would say like all of us know pretty well and are pretty involved in the Catholic subculture within the culture of religion in the United States and around the world to think that there are large subcultures that like I have, I know nothing about or like I didn't even know that that existed until you just told me that idea, mm-hmm. which sounds similar to what I think, but it's different enough that yes. it's like an affront to some core ideas of what I believe um, where it's, especially in the world of accessibility where all of those things are present to you. And especially within our own subculture of Catholicism that like you think you would know about these things. And then like this new idea pops up and this new group of people or subculture 
And you're like, how do I not know about this? Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that experience has, has existed before the world of accessibility, like, you know, I'm just going to throw out the term globalization, which should communicate my point exactly. <laughs> In a globalized world, how do I not know everything? In a global Tell me that. world. How, do, how can I not relate to everyone? Um, well, I think about my own discernment of my vocation, you know, um, it was really conditioned by my circumstances. Like the fact that I chose diocesan priesthood was really because that's what other guys who were thinking about becoming priests were doing. Sometimes people would be like, well, have you thought about religious life? And I don't know, the question just didn't seem that pressing to me because I didn't, I didn't know very many religious, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of, in some ways, like it was going with the flow. It it was a, a decision I had to make that was not, that easy but uh once i came to the decision it was pretty obvious which way i was going to go but like the the existence of all these like say the existence i read the benedict option by uh rod dreher did you read that book i have not i know i know the book but i haven't read it he talks about um i think it's monte casino or it's it's or maybe it's nursia where saint benedict uh was from there is an uh, an abbey, which actually Italy had those earthquakes a year or two ago, and it was almost completely destroyed. Mm. And the monks there were like, um, just set up like a shanty town in the hills, I think, while they while they rebuilt the monastery. Wow, cool. Yeah, but they're they're very traditionalist, Latin mass, um, very loyal to the original rule of Saint Benedict, just like true reform in the sense of like you know Teresa of Avila's reform of the Carmelites or or whatever like it's just a, an intense um observation of the heart the spirit of the law of what what the original charism of being a Benedictine monk is um and he kind of holds this up as an example of like retreating from the world in the sense of like being being distinctive and holding on to something that's like concrete that's not just conditioned and by the flux of cultural trends and norms and stuff but is like rooted in the deep tradition of the church but also engages the world like these monks uh their monastery was and is this sort of center of life in this town of nursia and they engage it and he's saying like this is a more powerful way to evangelize than just trying to look as much like the world as you can which i that's an idea i agree with but at the same time i never even never even crossed my mind to consider that as a vocation for myself or to be that interested in even like learning about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think so. Like what just kind of popped in my head, it's almost a question of um, like the experience of um, when something feels like home or like when something just feels right, kind of in you, it's almost like a, uh, compared to like an experience of knowing you're doing God's will, you know, which mm. is maybe that's like a highly nuanced too like too nuanced way to say it. Um, cause it's like, I definitely subscribe to, I don't even know who it was. Um, like the line that in God's will is our peace. Um, and I also know cause it, I, I was trying to frame it. Um, this is kind of going away from the, uh, Benedictine stuff you were just talking about, but like, I, I know that there are experiences, even of liturgy, which I know can be like a very hot 
topic for certain people. But when, um, yeah, mass is celebrated like in a certain way, or there's like, like certain type of music, certain type of vestments, et cetera. Like I just feel, um, just like really at home. It kind of takes me back to like, I mean, U of I probably shaped me in that way more than most places. Um, but I'm, I'm also, I think a grace of being in seminary for me is like realizing that when I go to a mass that, yeah, maybe like doesn't have that type of music or whatever, like there's not that feeling necessarily of being like as connected to my own story or as at home. But at the same time, it's like, no, this is like, this is legitimate. Mm. Um, you know, this is like an, a little legitimate expression of the mysteries of the mass that I'm that I get to participate mm. in here. So like, I believe fully that that experience is like God's will for me in that moment, but it also lacks the feeling at least to the levels of, uh, other times where it's just like, this is it. Like I'm home, man. This, you know, this is the experience I've been looking yeah. for. Um, and so I, I, I don't think I had necessarily like used that w- way to say it before, but I think there is, that's, I think that's actually Im, like an important distinction to make in like just discerning God's will. Yeah, and not only really for is. the, not only for like the really big questions, like the vocation questions, kind of the life changing decisions, but also just like in the ordinary mm-hmm. decisions of like really living in accord with God's will. It's like, is this something that, yeah. Oh man, dude, like, just the other day I, th- I came yeah. back from masses and I was like, somebody had asked me to do something I'll be very vague, but I was just like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. I, I said it out loud in my room to God. I was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I have to do it. <laughs> Your conscience demands it. Sure. You, you can choose not to do it. And ultimately like as a priest, that's, a, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You, you could just not do it. Um, and people will adjust their expectations of what you're willing to do and how generous you'll be. But, uh, yeah, I really like that distinction between like what I like, which, you know, to, a what you like can look an awful lot like, um, you know, a life of heroic virtue or what, you know, there's a lot of consolation that comes from making big sacrifices. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially when there's fancy clothes to be worn and attention and respect and all that other stuff. Which is not to say that um, that those things are purely for those motives, but uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Well, I'll sh- I can share this. I don't mind sharing this story on the podcast of like me and Mets are prepping for this Haiti trip um, right after Christmas. And even my discernment for that. So real good friend of mine is going on the trip. She still works for Focus, who the trip is through. And called me, asked me if I wanted to go. And I was honestly really, like, really torn. At for, Once I figured out, it's like, oh, man, the the timing could actually possibly work on this. Yeah, I was really torn on it because I did really want to go. It, I thought it would be really powerful to be there um, a few months before ordination. I've been to Haiti before. I would get to go back. Um, I think it's a great trip that's, like, put together just to be a part of. But at the same time, like, I have to miss a couple things with the diocese that I, you know, like, really wanted to be at. Um, obviously, won't have as much time with my family. I'll have to leave right after Christmas. And so it was just kind of like weighing this stuff in this discernment. 
And it was interesting because it was an experience of like it's a week long trip. It's not that it's like the biggest decision I've ever made. Um, but I just it was so equal on like the pros and cons of like how I felt about it. Of like, ah, I really want to do this, but dang it, like I love being home around Christmas and everything. And it just clicked with me and some prayer about it one day of like, like, okay, I, I don't know what I should do. And so like, God, what do you want me to do? As cliche as that sounds, but that shifted like the whole question for me. Um, and I just really kind of came to this sense that like, God wanted me to go on this specific trip. And so that was like the end of it for me. I was like, okay, that's, that's what I wanted to know. Um, so the other stuff, you know, is still kind of torn about in some good ways. Um, but like, that was the question that I needed to be at there. Hmm. So how did you come to the, the decision ultimately? How did you know what the right thing to do was? Once, once I articulated that, the question in that way of, um, like, uh, I just, I can't keep weighing like Mm -hmm. the emotions around this either way, but it's like, Lord, just tell me what you want to want me to do. Like, what is exactly that? Like, not what is going to make me feel at home in this. What is God's will in this? And it shifted the whole thing because, you know, and it's like I'm a such a believer in the like prayer around effective movements and like an Ignatian style of engagement in in prayer. And it's not to say that was like excluded there, um, but I think I had just maybe like watered that down in my own prayer life to to mean uh, do what feels good, okay, <laughs> do what feels good or yeah. do what feel, like I, I still kind of hold to that like do what feels do what makes you feel at home mm-hmm. and it's not the right question like ultimately um it can be very powerful and i'm not saying it's always opposed to god's will mm-hmm. but that's that's not the right question to ask oh man that is uh you're hitting something really deep i think which kind of gets to my original point about these especially the catholic subcultures um is that there can be a very subtle temptation to mix up what God wants with what I want because you've convinced yourself that I'm right about this and this must be what God wants. And uh, in fact, I was just thinking about this this morning, reading the reading of Jesus in the paralytic where they <clears throat> lower him down through the roof and just picturing that scene of all those people and how hard it is even for Jesus, the incarnate son of God to change people's minds, you know, because they they just people have expectations expectations and they're sure about certain things like only God can forgive sins, and it takes him like miraculously curing a paralytic uh, and having him pick up his pallet and walking home for them to to believe him. You know, um, it's very difficult for for us to change our minds about things, and uh, and honestly too, it's like and this gets to something I was reading in that book I mentioned a couple times ago, that Jonathan Haidt book, uh, The Righteous Mind, about the kind of psychological roots of morality or moral judgment. Do you remember I was talking about that? Yeah, I remember that. And his whole his whole theory is basically like um, your intuition comes first and your reasoning comes second, meaning you make a judgment call on, on most things, but particularly on moral judgments. Um, 
and then you reason why that's the case, you know. So like he, he tests this theory by asking people what he calls harmless taboo questions. So I'll give you one that's not lurid because a lot of them are kind of gross. But he'll, say, he'll ask somebody like, okay, let's say a, a person finds an old American flag in their closet and it's kind of tattered and a little worn and they don't want to just throw it away or they don't want to just burn it or bury it. They want to uh, recycle it. So they tear it up into... Um, little pieces and they use it to, to clean their toilets and their bathrooms and stuff. Is that right or wrong? And almost everybody from the United States says, will say that's wrong. Um, because it's dis- you know, disrespectful, taboo. It's not what, that's not how you treat the flag. But then they'll ask like why? And most people are trying to find a reason why it like does some kind of harm. Uh, He's like, no, it doesn't. No one saw it. No one knows the difference. It's just something that happens in the privacy of this person's home. And and it's it, what was interesting about these experiments is that people will make the judgment that that's wrong and then find a reason why, you know, uh, and that's the case in a, a lot of these moral questions he asks. But I think that that's really why it's tough when somebody has made their judgment about the church or about Christianity in general um, to like change a person's mind. We all know how hard that is. Uh, and you really can't reason with them because their reasoning is just a tool to, to uphold their own intuitions about a thing. They've already made a judgment, a gut check call on what's right and what's wrong. So you have to like change their intuition by say, like if they think the church is full of hypocrites who, um, who hate me because of who I am, then you have to challenge that intuition by not being that, by like loving that person, you know, not addressing the particular claim and reasoning with them and trying to argue them to agree with you. But I think it's also interesting thinking about yourself and how many intuitions you have. And like, I think the mass should be celebrated this way, or I think that churches should look like this and yada, yada, yada. And I, I know I'm right about all that stuff, right? Just like you guys do. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not, but it's really, really tough to, to do what you're talking about, Rob, which is like, not just worry so much about what I want or what makes your language feel at home. Like, what does God actually want? Um, and that's a question I'm going to be trying to navigate my whole priesthood of like, where, where now, you know, Mm -hmm. say yes to this or no to this or, or, or what, you know, and it's not going to be always, and it hasn't been just like oh this is this feels so right this is perfect i'm exactly where i belong you know Uh, a lot of times it's hard and that and that's some ways like that's how you know it's right is that you're growing that's that it is hard and that you have to depend more on god yeah and i think that's part of the one of the real real challenges with it because like i think one of the points underneath your psychology of morality that guy what you're talking about is a lot of those things have just been conditioned towards mm-hmm. us that you immediately jump to the intuition and then that's why you have to you know find evidence that backs up the intuition that you've already come to the conclusion of um but it's it's very challenging as a priest especially when you do have to make decisions for like hundreds or thousands of people on what the lord wants when each person has their own preference and each person has their own like their own experience of of what the parish should look like, of what religion should look like, of what Catholicism should look like. Um, but then like specifically, 
as someone who has to make that decision, and I mean, I, I guess we all have to do that in some way, regardless of your vocation, um, is one of the challenging things, at least for me in seminary, has been, and helpful, has been like actually growing in self-knowledge so that I can discern, is this what, actually what I want because of a previous experience, or is this actually what God wants? And so then you get into a lot of... Um, yeah, like a growth in self-knowledge and looking at your family of origin, that's stuff that like, I mean, honestly, before seminary, like I would have laughed at all that stuff and like, I, I really don't care about understanding my family of origin and like where I come from and, um, you know, like giving an in-depth type of psychological analysis to it. But that's actually been incredibly helpful because then I can actually look back and see like, okay, this, I, I know my dad does this and I do it and I love it because of that. Um, but like, okay, now put that off to the side and like, that's a, that's a part of the equation because obviously like the Lord has ordained that that's a part of who I am. So somehow that weighs into it. But at the same time, Lord, you know, having, having acknowledged that that exists, having acknowledged that I have a preference towards this, like, where do you want me to go? Where, where where's your will between all those things? But I, I think, I don't think it's possible, or at least it's massively challenging if you don't have some level of self-knowledge to, to be able to honestly say like, this is, this is personal preference right here. Hmm. Um, this is what I grew up with. Like if you can't acknowledge those basic things, then you'll, it'll be really challenging, mm-hmm. um, to make that those discernments of this is actually what the Lord wants, or this is actually what I want. Um, cause those things like the psyche can get pretty dang close to the spiritual, um, like the that's hits a deep part of who the human person is, and it can oftentimes look like morality or look like a you know some sort of some type of the spirituality hmm. of a person. Um, but there's there are distinctions there. Oh, certainly, and, spirituality can fill a psychological need, you know, and mm-hmm. and be, therefore become kind of twisted. Rather yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get off track on that, but like I, well, I just think this? it's really important in discernment because because at the same time, I do know in my own discernment, like I came to the conclusion of Dawson Priesthood because of a very practical situation that was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I just knew I couldn't move forward with a religious group because I had a military obligation. Hmm. That was it. I I was contractually obliged to to do something else. Therefore, like I had tons of peace, and I knew that okay, this isn't what the Lord wants. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If, yeah. And so, like there, the I don't know the way that the Lord uses like our our own our own experience, our own families, where we've come from, and yeah, that that feeling of home. Um, but at the same time, like it's not always all about that, right? So, uh, yeah. Well, how about this question? What about the situation in which it's not just a a personal preference? In in other words, it's not simply a subjective judgment where it could go either way, depending on what you like or what you don't like. What if it actually is an objective thing that you are and you you believe you are right about? But just like putting up with like the level of what what you'll put up with, you know, because it's not that big a deal. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, can you draw a line for me that uh, exists in your own life there? I don't know. Like, to me, people should receive communion reverently and uh, and understand what they're receiving 
and be in a state of grace. And yet I, you know, people will in different circumstances come up and I try not to focus on this at all because it really is not like, this is an obvious one because it's none of my business. I'm not, I can't read souls and I, I don't know people's consciences, but when somebody comes up and obviously hasn't been to mass in a long time or, or maybe never was really catechized, but they're just getting in line and they're chewing gum and they just hold one hand out and grab the Eucharist out of my hand um, and then walk away and I just look and try to make sure that they at least consume it so they're not just walking away with Jesus in their hand and doing God knows what. Like, I realize it's not that person's fault, you know, uh, first of all, to give them the benefit of the doubt. But like, like what to do in those situations, what what to put up with and what to say something about or do something about. And I, I've come to peace about that particular situation. You know, if I see somebody not receive the host and like walk away with it, then I'll go do something. Um, otherwise, it's like maybe after mass, say something to the person if if the if time allows for it. But those sort of things that are are sort of judgment calls, but also to me like objective truth. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, or how about this? This has come this has come up in my life uh, quite a few times in the past week or two. People with mental illness who are homeless and uh, like there's this guy that's in a, like all summer basically slept in our courtyard and I didn't have the heart to basically tell him to find somewhere else to sleep and he's really harmless and he comes to mass all the time and uh, but it was just getting really cold and he was like starting to leave stuff around and sort of making people uncomfortable and I was I was really on the fence about it, you know. Um, and now it's it's and he has family in town but he prefers to sleep in the doorway of the church uh for religious reasons and I, he speaks uh spanish in a, in a way that's really difficult for me to understand so i talk to him but it's hard for me to communicate to him but basically i just try to treat him the way um like as if he were christ but it's it's really tough when you're dealing with mental illness and not being able to reason with a person then another a person who came back recently who's um suffered from bipolar and uh, a young woman I've seen various times and in various states and she came she came around recently and she was like in a really bad state and she had made a big mess in the in the bathroom that was really kind of unpleasant and had to be cleaned up and um she was like lurking about and and I was like it made me scared in a way like I didn't know what to do because uh, I knew that she was looking for me and she, like I know that as a priest I'm a big lightning rod for her because a lot of her delusions have to do with religion and she grew up Catholic so the, you know uh, and I've dealt with her before and um, it just came to the end. She was like in the back of church at an evening mass last week. And I talked to one of the guys who's an usher and I was like, just so you know, this person's here and she might like make some kind of scene at mass just so you know. And then at the end, I came I, I came up to her and I like through the whole mass, I was kind of anxious about it. Um, because again, you're on the fence of like, what, how do I treat this person with dignity and respect yet at the same time, like, this is just a really blurry situation. Um, and I, after mass, I just asked her to come outside with me and we just talked and she was like actually really at peace, even though she looked like she was just really, really wound tight. Uh, and that's what was really kind of stressing me out was like what this person could do anything right now. Um, but she actually was just like, do you have a lighter father? And she was trying to smoke a cigar or something. 
It's like, no, I don't. She's like, I just pray for me. You know, I give her a blessing. And um, then she left. And I don't know, all these situations, I don't know if I'm getting really to the heart of what the question is or if it really matters, but I guess it's not, discernment is not always easy. <laughs> That's my point. Like, mm-hmm. what is the will of God? It's often very, very messy. And there's not a real good answer to these questions. Um, you just try your best, you know? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. It it seems super impossible to discern without praying. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a very obvious thing, but like, yeah. But like, what about in those situations where it just comes, the situation comes upon you? And how do you, and you have to decide right then and there, like, what do I do here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then you just have to trust. I, like, I, I honestly think you just have to trust that the Lord has prepared you for that moment. Like he knew that that was coming. He knows what's up. He's given you the grace for it and he's prepared you for it. Mm-hmm. So for example, that's Rob's story of his discernment for the Haiti trip. Here's mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I, I helped him make a video announcing that he was going to go on the Haiti trip. And then he <laughs> told me like, Hey, I'm going on this Haiti trip. And then he asked if I wanted to go. And I said, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and so then I made sure I didn't have anything on that day. And and Martha okayed it. Like it got okayed. Mm-hmm. And it was just immediate. Like I knew that I wanted to do that. I knew that I wanted to do some mission work. I That had been on my heart for a while. And so I, it hadn't crossed my mind before you'd ask, like, I should ask to go on this trip. That wasn't even an option. But as soon as you asked, I knew... I didn't even, I wouldn't even say I knew, I just did it. <laughs> so that, that's also like. That's a way to discern. Fairly compulsive, sporadic Ready, person. fire, well. aim. But I know for sure, like this is 100%. As soon as it, as soon as he asked, it was like, this is a gift. Yeah. Before ordination to go down and mm-hmm. work with the people of Haiti, like it was definitely a gift from the Lord. Um, and that's like, that's a part of the, the consistency needed in prayer is not, it's not always like, okay, here's a situation. Now it's time for me to pray. It's like when you've been praying and you're actually in relationship with the Lord, like he, when those things come upon you, like you actually are prepared. Um, and you have the eyes of faith to, to see where, where God is. Um, and so it's just that need to like, to be with him in season and out of season, I I guess is one thing in seminary that's become very clear to me. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking, um, even if your story, like, those situations, like the really complex ones, um, how to exactly deal with it correctly, hopefully deal with it like a saint would, you know, et cetera, are so hard in the moment. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I remembered something and this is, I mean, this isn't like an original idea of his, but like just being in class with Dr. Hilliard this past semester. And he said a couple of times, he's like, you know, the hardest thing for anyone to do when they look at history is to understand a figure from their own time and place. And so it's like, but that's how you have to, in order to like be a mature thinker, you have to do that. Like you have to be willing to judge people like from their own context. You can't put your own values and your own time and what's PC now on other people. It's not saying you don't learn from the past, et cetera. Um, but even when you were talking, Connor, I think that's like maybe sometimes a subconscious fear in me is just like wanting to have everything right. So, you know, like I don't have any regrets or like I'm remembered well right. or 
whatever else. And, and I don't how know how looks. big of a part. Yeah. How this I don't looks. know how I don't know how big of a part of it that is, but I think that's also like a whole nother part of it. And it's like, no, I mean, you just have to. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, like use everything God's given you and love the best you can. And, um, yeah, that's it. And it's the same, but it's the same thing. Like people can throw that at us just like we can throw it at them as like, you know, trusting your conscious and following your conscious is, is not like just doing whatever feels right to you. Like you have to have like a properly formed conscious to be a Catholic. Hmm. And, um, so sometimes when people will cite that, what they're saying is no, that it just felt right. I know it's right. And you can say like, not whatever to use the language. It's like, no, that's not like that goes exactly against what the church that's not what says. conscience means. That's you. It's not what it means. And yeah. it's like, like we also need to really watch ourselves with that. Yeah. Like hopefully it's not an issue of like, you know going blatantly against like a clear church teaching right or causing schism right but at the same time like you can apply that to a lot of yeah. a lot of things yeah absolutely you know? absolutely yeah it, it, actually quick example from the weekend for me was uh i had i was just telling rob about this before the podcast but one of my buddies from high school college my best friend he lives in cincinnati we watched a couple episodes of the show viking and it's an interesting show. It's pretty cool. And so I was just like watching a couple episodes this weekend and it was just like, it's a lot. They, they, it's a very, um, a supernatural show. So there's like a lot about the pagan gods and there's a Christian figure that they bring into it. And so there's this mixing and mingling of the supernatural and the spiritual, but like combined with pagan practices. And, uh, there's just a lot of intense stuff and like, Bishop Barron has watched that show. Bishop Barron has done YouTube reviews on that show. Like people of goodwill that I know and respect a lot have watched that show. I I can't watch that show. Hmm. <laughs> I realized when I turned it off to go to sleep on was it Saturday night or something like that. Um, like I just had this rotten feel interiorly. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. Which, which isn't necessarily like this is a bad show. Nobody should ever watch this show, but. That show did not like I, I couldn't even necessarily say, um, yeah, like I said, like nobody should ever watch this show or it's wrong. It's immoral to watch this for X, Y and Z reason. I just know that it's not what the Lord wants me to do. Um, and 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 that kind that comes from having prayed earlier in the day to I don't know, like not so much a discernment of an event or an experience or two dis, two decisions to be made, but like to live a discerning lifestyle, which mm-hmm. I think is Ignatius's whole point of like the examine prayer is that the more that you discern, live a discerning lifestyle when actual like this or that situations come up that you are aware you already, you are, you already know how to work through the affective movements and the thought processes processes that need to take place to know where God's will is. Cause that's what you've been doing, yeah. you know? And so you just kind of apply the lifestyle to, to the situation in front of you. Um, yeah, and I hope that doesn't sound daunting because it's actually like, I guess I've realized it's a, it, well, it is. It's a little bit easier than I had expected, even though discernment can still be really hard sometimes. 
but just to be really aware, like during the day of little tiny things, um, I guess it's, it doesn't take as much energy as I thought it Well, does. what makes but, it hard is that we, we make it hard on ourselves. It's like y- you, you could have tried to rationalize or listen to all the little lies going on in your head about why it's okay to watch that show. Oh, Bishop Barron's watched it. Because there's some, probably something that made you also want to watch it. But then there's that really clear voice that because you have the Holy Spirit in you through baptism and living in a state of grace and prayer, uh, you know, you can recognize the voice of the master who says, it's not... It's not for you. It's not for us. Um, don't watch it. Yeah. And the what what is easy is when you start to just listen to that voice and start doing what it says. Um, Dude, it makes me think on the on the flip side of it. So that's like an example of of okay. I I'm not going to do something because I I feel my conscience strongly pulling me away from it. Uh, in our Teresa Benedict Stein class with uh, with Father Duran, he was talking about, and man, I'm not going to be able to give the context to it, so you're going to have to help me with this, Rob, but um, talking about the situation where when John was going from um, these different Carmelite monasteries, uh, working towards reforming, going back to, to the their cross. original charism, John of the Cross, yeah. John of the Cross, this is what Father Duran was talking about. Mm-hmm. He said that he would get to these different places and there were some monasteries that were very lenient and they were very wealthy. And then there were some that were much more strict and they had guys that were, they had um, superiors who were imposing very strict penitential practices on um, some of the people who were living in the monastery there, some of the monks that were there. And John of the Cross, he uh, reformed both sides of the coin and gave it back probably back to this more middle ground of like what is the law of you know what what does the charism actually say as being a carmelite but it was interesting because john himself although he was reforming these monasteries that mm-hmm. were on either side specifically with the very strict penitential practice ones he was doing himself a lot of the penances hmm. that they Cute. were practicing at these monasteries and and yet he was telling his superiors you can't make your monks do that because um, like to get to this point that the the practices that he was doing and that the superiors were imposing on all of their brothers is not something that's like that's universal for everybody um, with their experience of Christ. They don't have to wear like you know uh, what a a hair shirt or wear like gird their uh, hips with like chain belts and and all these like really intense things. Um, but that it comes from a specific invitation from the Lord and like having a discerning heart to know and understand what the Lord is asking you to do, mm-hmm. um, which he followed up with like the further example of JP two, the guy who wrote theology of the body, they found a self-flagellation whip like in, in his room or in his closet or something like that after he had passed. Mm-hmm. And like he, he never would have taught that that's what, that's what all Christians need to do. That, that this is what all people that are disciples of Christ need to do. And yet, like the dude <laughs> did self-flagellation at the same time. Yeah, I remember that being uh, kind of scandalous when that came out. Yeah, I was like, I, it still is a challenge to wrap my mind around. Um, but I just say that to give a like, this is the flip side of it. Yeah, like some people can choose not to do things, but then there are specific things that the Lord asks individuals to do that you have to have a discerning heart to be aware of those things yeah um or else your penance or else what can end up happening is 
like all those things come from just personal preference. They come yeah. from your own pride. They and come from a particular a danger with penance, like to, to take on a penance you're not really worthy of, or you're just doing for your own particular pride. Like, look at me, I can do this for God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that discerning lifestyle. Yeah. Cause it, uh, there's something in there too that hopefully like the freedom that comes with it, kind of like what you were talking about. I like that point of just like knowing and listening to the Holy spirit, like in a sense quicker and quicker, you know, just like, no, I don't have to watch this just because people like it, you know, or right. whatever. Um, but that is a very free way, um, to live. And I think it, Honestly, I think it just allows, in a discerning lifestyle, it also allows you kind of another side of the coin or whatever is just to not like take yourself too seriously hmm. either, which I think is like hugely important. In what way? Um, I don't know. I mean, just like, just, le- you know, like if God's a good father, just be like, dad, help me, you know, um, like in those moments of like, like a real life of dependence and being like. I can't do this. Like, I'm just, I, I don't mean that to be like daunting or depressing, but just like, well, and it can be baby steps too. Like in that situation with the right. bipolar yeah. woman, just like, well, the, my discernment tells me I can't, I can't just keep fleeing from her. I need to go mm-hmm. to her, you know, in a place that's kind of controlled and away from people. And I'm, yeah. I'm not up there trying to say the mass. So I just like at the end of mass, I knew go to her, yep. take her outside and talk to her, see, see what she says. But yeah, that that was a kind of dependent move where like, I don't know what's going to happen here. So help me, God, you know, Yep. and it turned out fine. Um, but yeah, I what I hear you saying is don't take yourself so seriously that you have to figure out every little thing. Um, exactly. Well, or that it's on you to yeah. like, to like deduce this. Right. You know what I mean? We're not talking about like being detectives yeah. here. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's a little point, but yeah, that, there's no, something to it. Yeah. Uh huh. Very true. Um, I, uh, maybe a follow-up question is like um, we have the incredible opportunity to read a lot, to study a lot, and to pray a lot. And I like I always wonder if this is if it's possible to really live this way in like the busyness of of like family life or um, you know just living out in the world in the you know corporate America. Is it possible to live a discerning lifestyle? Um, and my my intuition is that yes, it is. Of course, it is. Um, but I don't know. Like that, that's something I wish I had more real life experience of. Yeah. Um, I remember writing that down, something like that down in my journal once. Like, what does it? What does holiness look like in the lay vocation? Because it's very easy for me to to tell because I am a priest what holiness looks like for a priest. But especially having to preach every week, like having some vision of what. And it's going to be different for every single person. It's going to be different for every single walk of life, mother, father, grandparent, widow, whatever. There's no universal uh, mold that holiness looks like, but it is. Uh, that is a good question. I don't know. That, and that requires some discernment itself and, and asking and listening to people. Like what, it, what does it really look like to be holy, to live a discerning life? I think it obviously has to be possible to live a discerning life as a layperson, but... Right. It's going to look right. different. That was kind of my thought is like, it's, it is an interesting question and in, in a lot of ways, like tough to formulate an answer to it. But I guess my the thing that popped in my head was like, but I've seen it. Like mm-hmm. I can think of people right. that it's like, no, it's, 
it's possible because I've seen it done. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. more so than, like, it's possible because I have an answer. Right. It's just like, no, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but. Absolutely, absolutely. You made, a, you made a judgment call with your gut, and now you're going to figure out reasons to support it. And yeah. it's going to be impossible to change your mind about it. But that one in particular, for sure. Because <laughs> uh, you're definitely right about it. My experience is too heavily <laughs> on one side. Yeah, because then it's like, you know, I have, like, rules in my head of what what i feel like the lord is calling me to to be a good and holy priest and like i just have to i have to stay true to the lord in what he's asked me to do what are those things for for okay. a married person like yeah. you know my, my i think i have to pray the breviary i have to go to mass every day pray the rosary sure. okay. and do gotcha. a holy hour yeah like those are like the four secret ingredients <laughs> that like i just i just have to stay true to the lord the spices of life the, mm-hmm. the spices of Le vocation sacerdotal. <laughs> and so, like, if I was to think about and it, and I don't think you can do it because people's lives are so varied and so different. But, like, you know, it would be unjust and ridiculous for me to come home and be like, you all need to be praying holy hours every day and you need to be praying the breviary. Because that's not, like, that's very different, obviously. But at the same time, I do think that there are... Um, you know, types of like prayer commitments that are helpful to leading people into a discerning lifestyle. And like, I guess, what do those things look like realistically? Sunday mass. Sunday mass. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> like that's, a, that's the starting point. Yeah. You got to go to mass. Get your to mass on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a good tropic. <laughs> Oh. Oh. Dang. (laughs) Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary. It may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.